Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Starting Lineup Podcast. My name is Adrian, and today we will be going over my first Q&A. I, I have an Instagram page where I post all my updates and everything about the podcast. Well, recently on my story, I put up a questions that anyone I wanted people to ask, and I would just kind of throw them into a, a podcast. Well, I decided to make it a, a little bit of a series and, and have questions that people will ask me and I'll pick maybe five questions every week or whenever I decide to do these, and um, I'd answer them on a podcast. So this is episode one. I think I believe this is episode five of the podcast in general, but this is episode one of the Q and A's. So one of the first questions was just um, weight loss. So this is a guy who, who the guy who asked it. Um, I know him very well, and he knows that I am currently in a weight loss journey, I guess you could say. Um, so a little where I started, I started on January 1st of this year. I know it's cliche. Everyone starts at a, you know, the new years, but um, I, I really have made a lot of progress. So I started at 220 pounds um, January 1st, which is absolutely ridiculous. For those of you who don't know me in person, I'm around 5'5". Five, five, so kind of picture that in your head, you know, a 5'5", 220-pound um, person. Now, one thing I do want to mention is at the time, I was just powerlifting. Um, again, for those of you that don't know me, I do have quite a bit of muscle on me. At the time, I was strictly powerlifting. I mean, two, three reps nonstop um, of really, really heavy weight. So I was really, really bulked up. But at the same time, 220 pounds at the height I am is absolutely ridiculous. So um, on January 1st, I set a goal to hit 185 pounds by March 12th. Now, the significance of March 12th is it's my birthday. Um, I was turning 18. I mean, it's already passed, obviously, but I was turning 18 years old. So I really wanted to hit that 185 for my birthday. So my weight loss journey began with fasting. I was doing the 16 to 8. I wasn't eating for 16 hours, and uh, I was eating for eight hours. Um, I really, really had to fix my diet, and I was working out in the mornings. I was I would wake up at 7. I ran until 7.40-ish, um, so a good 40 minutes of running while being on an empty stomach, no water, no nothing. Um, that really, really got my metabolism going, or not my metabolism, that kind of fat burning, you know, the whole point of the fasting was to um, use my fat to burn, to make energy for the rest of the day, I'd burn fat for energy, because uh, I didn't have any calories in me until 12.30 in the morning, or 12.30 in the afternoon, all the way until 12, or 8.30 at night, so I would run, and it would really, really, really burn fat very quickly, um, I'd eat my first meal at 12.30, which I would pack, it was usually chicken, vegetable with white rice. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. If you're trying to bulk or if you're trying to lose weight, you can't go wrong with those three things. Um, and then I would have my first workout or my second workout technically, which is my weightlifting class. And what we did was usually pretty consistent. We would uh, alternate days, uh, legs and upper body. So we would do bench on Monday, squat on Tuesday, and we would keep that trend throughout the week. Although on Wednesdays, we would have our um, 
we would have what we call the free lift day where we did pretty much whatever we wanted. Uh, it was a shorter class period. So we just kind of, you know, mainly curls for the guys and squats for the girls. So that was my first workout. I had one meal at the time. And then towards the end of the day, end of the school day, I had a protein shake. And then I would go to the gym for about two hours. I'd get there around, I would say, 4.30. And I would stay till about 6.37, depending on if I feel good or not. So I would have a good maybe, I would say, four, four hours of working out every single day. Um, after the gym, I would go home and, and I'd eat my last meal of the day. So I'd finish eating around 8, 8.30. So I was at two meals, a protein shake, and then I drink my amino acids. I was drinking um, creatine at the time. So I did that from January 1st till March 12th, every single day. I mean, there was not one day where I, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. On the weekends, I wouldn't go to the gym unless I really felt like it. But I would do like cardio or I would try to at least at home. So... The last 10 days before my birthday, starting on March 2nd, I did no carbs. Uh, I had no carbs whatsoever, and it was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. So I cut out all rice, I cut out sweet potatoes, all bread. It was literally nothing but chicken and vegetables, honestly. And then I throw in tuna too, because I was just so hungry all the time. I was so low energy, but I made myself run and I made myself work out every single day and go to the gym and it sucked. It, it really, really sucked. So those last 10 days before I weighed in were absolutely miserable. I mean, I would go to sleep starving. There was a couple nights where I was just honestly crying because I just, I was so low energy. I was so tired. My body hurt so much, but I had set that goal of 185 pounds in my head so I was going to hit it regardless, you know, and it was a big, it was a big goal. That is 35 pounds in 71, uh, 71 days, which is really, really, really hard. But, um, I did that nonstop every single day and I hated the taste of chicken and I couldn't stand vegetables and I didn't want to look at rice and I didn't want to go to the gym. Um, I think it was two days before I weighed in on March 10th. Um, I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw a picture. I think it was Larry Wheels. And, you know, he was doing some miraculous squat, like 700 by four or something like that. And um, I just saw a barbell and I saw the weights and I saw the 45s and I got the urge to throw up because I had worked out so much and I had eaten so little, which is not healthy. <laughs> Those last 10 days were not healthy what I did, but... Um, I, I saw the weights on, on the screen of my phone while I'm laying in bed at night and just looking at the 45 pound plate, I wanted to throw up. I mean, just thinking of having to lift again, it was, it was tough. It was pretty miserable. Um, especially those last 10 days, but, um, the, my birthday rolls around, I wake up, I go for a run. I, uh, I take a shower I don't drink any water. I had very, very little to eat on March 11th. And the night of March 11th, I didn't drink any water. After my run on March 12th, on my birthday, I didn't drink any water after my run during my 
excuse me, during my run. Um, so I got to school because I didn't have a weight scale at time at the time. And uh, the only weight scale I had was at home or I was at the gym at school. I'm sorry. So I got to school uh, anxious. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted to go see what I weighed in at. So I walk in. Uh, I go into the restroom. It was it was of the athletic training room. I take off all my clothes. You know, I, I don't want to weigh one more ounce than I need to. Um, I get on the scale and I weighed 185 pounds, eight ounces. And it was genuinely the biggest relief of my entire life. I mean, for 71 days, I believe it was, I worked so hard. I worked so freaking hard. I mean, late nights, early mornings, just nothing but lifting or running and dieting and planning my diet. They were such such hard days to to finish, you know? I woke up early and I went to sleep late because I had to lose that weight. I had to get from 220 pounds down to 185 pounds. And um, I would do anything it took to do it. You know, I, I became obsessed and that's a tendency that I have when it comes to a lot of things that I, I genuinely put my mind to is I, I do become obsessed, you know? So when it came to losing weight or it came to working out and dieting, I became obsessed and um, say what you will, but I did it. I dropped 35 pounds in about 71 days and I was so proud. There's, there's no feeling quite like it. Um, I mean, if I had weighed two ounces more, I would have been one pound off, which would have been the most demoralizing thing that I could have possibly think of. Um, And it made me think that if there was literally one day I didn't go to the gym, or maybe there was one day I just wanted a burger and I decided to eat a burger, I would have weighed those extra two ounces. I would have weighed 186 pounds instead of 185 And then I thought how demoralizing that would be. And I thought that everything I did was worth it. And everything I did, I did right. Because, again, if I had done it any other way, I would have been 186 pounds, which would have been horrible. I mean, it would have been a terrible feeling to be one pound over your your goal. So to hit 185 was one of the moments in my life that I do not think I'll ever forget. I mean, it was such a proud moment for me. I, um... I wear a 185, I wear a a necklace, it's a chain that says 85 on it to really remind myself every single day of what I am possible, what I can do, what's possible, you know? So, you know, when times are getting tough and I'm at the gym and I'm tired and I just don't feel like going anymore, I I look at the necklace and I kind of remind myself, I mean, you did that, you can do this, you know? You're doing it on less carbs. You're doing it on less time, on less energy. You can do it. Um, I'm continue, continuing my weight loss. I, um, I want to be 170. I gave myself up until the 20th of this month. I genuinely don't think I'm going to hit it. Um, I don't think it's because... It's not because of my diet and it's not because of my training. Um... Well, it is my diet in a way, but 
I started training again. I started taking creatine again, so I bulked up quite a bit. I I, I added quite a bit of muscle, so that is muscle that I, or that is pounds I don't want to lose, and it's just kind of making the art the margin of error a lot smaller for my losing body fat. But um, I ate too little food. I know this sounds ridiculous, but. Uh, going back to me saying how obsessive I can get, especially when I really put my mind to something, um, I was obsessed with losing this weight and I obsessed with that number, 170 pounds, you know? And in my mind, I thought if I can lose 35 pounds, I can lose 15 pounds like nothing. It'll be nothing. 185 to 170, that is lightweight. But I had already burned the first couple layers of fat. So it was going to be a lot harder to burn the second layer, but I still wanted to do it. I still wanted to get to 170, but the more I would train and and I was working long fucking workouts. I mean, now that this quarantine is happening, I have my, my home gym and I would work out maybe four hours a day, every single day, you know, Monday through Friday or Monday through Sunday, I would work out about four hours a day with cardio in the morning. So I would do all that. But I was just so obsessed with not, with getting that number with 170 that I didn't eat. <laughs> I would eat a meal a day and uh, I'd eat one meal at, a, at 12.30, which is my first meal of the day because I'm still fasting through all this. And then I would eat a protein shake. Uh, maybe, <laughs> you know? So I'm, I'm usually on a meal a day, which is like so stupid. So what my body was doing was I was working so hard and I was burning all these calories. Um, I wasn't intaking anything. So my body was going into starvation mode and it was, it was holding all the fat that I had to keep myself going, to give myself energy, to be able to live. You know, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Um, I, wasn't, I wasn't feeding myself at all. You know, and I didn't make the conscious decision to starve myself, but I was telling myself, if I eat too much of this, too much of that, I'm not going to get 170 when it was literally the opposite. So I was putting in these four hours and I was eating one meal a day and I saw no difference on the weight scale until I really had to get sat down and I really looked at it. Um, the reason I'm not losing any weight is because I'm retaining all this fat so I can continue to function, you know? So, and, and what I was eating was very, very lean. I was eating chicken um, and vegetables. That was, that was about it. That was what my diet consisted of. Um, and, uh, and maybe tuna. So it was very low fat, low calorie. I mean... I was intaking maybe 500 calories a day when I was burning a thousand calories a day. So I know you have to be at a caloric deficit to lose weight, but I, I took it to the extreme. You know, I got so caught up and so wrapped up in, in losing the weight and um, hitting that one number that I didn't look at myself and say, is this what I should be doing? Is it the right way to do it? Because it definitely was not. I should not have been doing what I was doing. And it was not the right way to do it. So I'm happy that I stopped. So currently right now, 
Um, I have extended my, my eating hours from eight to 10 hours. So I'm eating within a 10 hour window and I'm not eating for 14 hours of the day and I'm eating whatever I need to eat within those 10 hours. So I extended that. Um, I'm eating more. Uh, I'm having cheat days now with something I didn't have. And I see the weight on the scale drop, but I've seen so much weight, um, so much body fat just just fall off of me. I mean, I, I look a lot leaner than I probably ever have. I mean, I, I wrestled at 182 pounds when I was a freshman in high school. I'm graduating this year. You know, I'm a senior. So at 185, I weighed the same as I did as a freshman. And now at probably 175, 178, which I'm at right now, um, I, I just, I have, for, for me, a lot, a very, very little amount of body fat. You know, I still wanna drop more and I still have ways to go. But for me personally, who, who has always struggled with weight, um, I'm, I'm just burning through body fat, you know? And I'm seeing it, I'm seeing more, more veins on me, I'm seeing my muscles pop out more. And I'm seeing so little body fat now, I feel comfortable to do a lot of things, like take my shirt off, you know, something I didn't want to do for so long. But now it's no problem because I'm comfortable and I'm confident. And this is why I preach lifting and I preach dieting and I preach all this so much because I've done it. I have been that guy who doesn't want to take a shirt off at a swimming party, you know, but so I know the feeling, you know, and I also know the guy who loses 45 pounds. I've, I've been the guy who, who has the highest bench on the football team and, and the highest squat and all that, you know, so I, I, I've been through the extremes of both. And I can tell you that it's not easy. Dieting is not easy. Working out is not easy, but every second is worth it. I'll, I'll tell you right now. So that's why I preach it, you know, and excuse me y'all but if you can reach your absolute potential (laughs) sorry about that guys okay if you can reach your absolute potential um with your body then you should go for it you know if you want to better your body you should definitely go for it so that's kind of where my weight loss is right now Um, I'm about eight pounds off. I have, I think today is the sixth. So I have about two weeks, I have 14 days to try to get those eight, to try to get those eight pounds off. Um, The second question is, (laughs) the second question is why I lift. Um, Lifting has been a big part of my life ever since I would say about sophomore year. I played football since seventh grade all the way to senior year. So working out was nothing more than what my coach told me to do. Um, and in middle school, it wasn't anything, you know, there was no weight training involved. It was just conditioning and practicing. In high school, uh, I got into lifting or I, did, I was forced to get into lifting. I, um, you know, I would have to lift in the mornings or during the football class during football or after during football practice so that was the extent of my lifting you know just doing what my coach had told me this lasted up until about sophomore year now okay 
the end of sophomore year going into my junior year is when lifting became something different to me. So again, I had mentioned before that weight has always been a struggle for me. I had never been morbidly obese, but I was always a really big kid. I was always a pretty fat kid. So when I started to lift, I started to see these changes to my body. I started to see me lean out and you know my chest become more full, my shoulders, my arms. And I couldn't get enough of it. I loved, I loved every second of it. I loved seeing what I could accomplish with my body. So as a sophomore, I, uh, I got pretty strong, actually. I got a squat up until around, I would say, three, maybe 340. It was like my highest squat. Uh, my bench was always pretty tough, but I would say about... Going about the end of the sophomore year, I had a 225 bench, you know, which is pretty good. It was, it was pretty good for, you know, being 15, 225 bench and uh, about 340 squat. So I was pretty strong, you know, I, uh, but going into that summer, I really, really got into it. I got a gym membership. I started to diet more. I started to drink supplements, you know. I got into creatine, I got into just drinking regular protein, you know, amino acids, collagen, all that good stuff. Um, because, you know, when I really took the step into getting into the lifting world, there was just so much to to look at. You know, there was so much to um, to try to take in and there was so much to to learn. So I just, you know, I became obsessed with it. I became obsessed with lifting. And I just continued to to lift more and to look at the the different supplements and different workouts, different variants of workouts. And that's what became so addicting because once you get into it, once you see what you can do, you want to do more and you want to do the different workouts. And and when you're lifting, um, you know, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> like having 500 pounds on your back when you squat does not feel good. Having 360 pounds on your arms going down on a bench press does not feel good. But I think once you've lifted for so long, subconsciously, all those lifts, although they don't feel good, you correlate that with progress. You correlate all the pain during the workout with progress, not only in the weight room, but in front of the mirror, you know? You correlate all the burn of the bicep into getting bigger biceps and then the bigger biceps make you look better and make you feel more confident. So I loved it. I really, really got into lifting and then I really, really got strong junior year. Um, and I, I really saw it on the football field. I saw it in the weight room. I saw it in the way I looked. I saw it in my demeanor. I was, I was a different person, you know? Uh, let me think. I got my squat up to five... 45 at the end of junior year i got up to 545 on a box squat and then i got my bench up to a 365 at the time that's when i really got into power lifting so i was pretty strong you know i was weighing maybe 200 pounds at the time i'd say about 200 210 uh nah 210 pushing it i would say about 200 flat uh with the 365 bench and a four five forty squat so I, yeah, I really fell in love with powerlifting and um 
I, I was lifting so much because I wanted to see how, what I could do. I wanted to see my absolute potential. I wanted to be the best version of me that I can be. I wanted to be the best Adrian Arias that is possible. And I thought that the more I lifted and the heavier the weights, the more I can explore who I am, you know? Because when you squat nearly 600 pounds at, you know, 16, 17 years old, you think like, wow, if I can do that, I mean, what is there that I can't do? And then you, you go for risks and you do things that you otherwise would not. And you build this new confidence, not only in the weight room, but outside of the weight room. And you build this confidence within yourself and who you are as a person. And that translates to every aspect to, of your life. So I continue to lift and, and I, I lift because in, in a way it's liberating. You know, I would, I would say I lift to liberate myself, to be self-disciplined and to be free and to, to see what I can do, you know, and, and to push my body to the absolute max. Not only, I mean, yes, I lift because I want to be strong and I lift because I want to look good. You know, those are two underlying reasons why. But the main reason is I want to see what I'm capable of, you know? I want to push my body to the absolute max and I want to push my psyche to the absolute max, to its breaking point. And then I want to push it farther because I want to see what I'm capable of. I want to have that confidence that regardless of what life throws at me, I am going to be able to adapt and push through. And if you have the mentality that you can go under that bar and you can squat 545 pounds, then that translates into life. You know, you have that mentality that whatever happens in life, I'm going to be able to deal with it. I'm going to be able to push through it, you know, and I think that's what lifting is for me. It's, it's really me becoming the best version of me that I can be physically, spiritually, and mentally um, while I'm lifting. So I always say lifting is so much more than just moving pieces of metal because it really is. And something that I always tell myself, I would tell myself before a football game, I tell this to my little brother. I have it as my yearbook senior quote. I have this on my lifting page. Uh, is think strong. Um, it's something I tell myself and, and it motivates me, you know, because, you know, strength is, is really a mentality and it's, it's having that confidence in yourself that, you know what, I am strong. And having that, yeah, just having that confidence, knowing that you are strong and, and then you tell yourself to think strong. And when you think strong, then, you know, you think of pushing through everything and you think of, of being resilient and you think of being the best version of yourself that you can be because you're strong, you know? So that's what think strong really, really means to me. And that's something that I say to myself all the time, but that's a little, that's, but I digress, you know, that's kind of why I, I really lift so much. Um, another question is athletes that motivated me, you know, like which, which athletes, 
do I look up to? Um, there's a couple here. So one that I quote the most and one that I really, really look at is Conor McGregor. <laughs> you know, usually you see someone like that and you don't think role model. But um, when you have the ability to talk as much shit as Conor McGregor does and you have the ability to you know, look at another man in the face and say, I'm going to kick your ass and you're not going to do a damn thing about it. That takes so much confidence. And he's only getting that confidence from his preparation, his work. He knows that I'm studying every single day. I am eating right every single day. I'm lifting or I'm not lifting, but I'm conditioning and I'm training every single day for this fight. Um, he has absolute confidence in himself only because he knows the work that he has put in. You know, he knows that he has stayed disciplined and he has worked hard. So he has the confidence to talk as much uh, smack as he does. And he has the confidence to, to look at another man and tell him he's going he's gonna, to, you know, punch him and knock him out in one punch. And that confidence translates, you know, if you haven't been dieting and you haven't been disciplined and, and training hard, then you're not going to have the confidence to look at a man and tell him that you're going to knock him out in one punch and it's going to be over in the first round because you haven't been staying true to yourself. McGregor, say what you will about him. You know, you say he does, you know, he's not conditioned. He can't wrestle this and that. He is one of the hardest working athletes I have ever seen. And you can tell he works so hard and he's so disciplined from his confidence. You don't get that confidence from nowhere. You don't pull it out of your ass and become the most confident person in the, uh, in the UFC. You know, you work hard to get that confidence. You earn that confidence. So Conor McGregor is one of those. Another one is Aaron Rodgers. Um, a big Packers fan for those of you who know me, but, uh, I like him for, the same kind of reason is his confidence and his preparation. You know, he is usually critiqued with for his leadership skills or lack of leadership skills. Um, they say that he's he's a quiet leader. He's kind of pretentious. He thinks he's better than everyone. Um, he doesn't really talk much. He's just kind of, you know, he has that cool, calm and, and collected demeanor. Where, you know, he, he just throws a 45-yard pass downfield and then he just sits there with a straight face and kind of just does a little fist pump, you know? You know, keeps that Aaron Rodgers demeanor where he just seems ice cold. I, I love that about him. I mean, I, I love that about athletes, you know? If you have the confidence to be able to be a little bit pretentious and to be cocky, because he definitely is. Same thing with McGregor. He, they're obviously very confident, but they're very cocky and pretentious because... They can back it up, you know? How many athletes do you see talk smack or act pretentious and act cocky because they can back it up? Not, they don't do it and back it up. They do it because they can back it up. What I've seen in, in life and, and in sports is a lot of players that talk the most smack and the players who have the nicest visors and the nicest gloves and all the drip and they, they have all these sleeves and all that and they're looking fresh, they're doing that because they lack, they, they're lacking aspects of their game, you know? They, they want to look cool because they can't play good, you know? 
and you see that so much, so much. I mean, I played four years of high school football. I mean, you see people dressed up looking like damn Terminators, you know? They, they were all decked out, but they weren't even good, you know? They weren't good. They, they felt like they're, they're lacking a part of their game, so they try to supplement it with, you know, trash talk or style or stuff like that. But players like Aaron Rodgers and fighters like Conor McGregor, they just have that demeanor. They have that confidence that I'm better than you, you know, and I'm better than you because, yes, I'm talented and yes, I have a great team. But I work hard. I study film. You, you don't see what I do. You don't see how hard I work. And that's the reason why I'm so cocky. And that's why I'm so pretentious. Because I work so hard. That's why. That's why I have this, this demeanor. And that's why I say I'm the best. Because I am the best. You know? How many times have you heard Conor McGregor say he's the best in the world? Because you know what? Probably is. I mean, I would say if McGregor beats Khabib Nurmagomedov, he is the best fighter maybe in MMA history. He, there's, he has that one nemesis of Khabib Nurmagomedov. And um, if he beats him, he's probably the best. And I, I really want to see the rematch of McGregor and Nurmagomedov. Um. Khabib was was set to fight Tony Ferguson with UFC 249, but you know it got canceled obviously. So Khabib is now fighting uh, Justin Gaethje. Uh, McGregor last fought Donald Cerrone, um, and he looked really really good in the clinch, uh, which is something he never really worked with. He was more of a striker. He was a southpaw striker, uh, but he looked comfortable in the clinch. You know, so he's been working wrestling, and he I, you could tell that. If he looks comfortable in the clinch against Donald Cerrone and he can shoulder hit him three times in the nose, he's been practicing his wrestling. And he's been practicing his wrestling to beat Nurmagomedov. Because once he beats Nurmagomedov, he's going to go for Ferguson. He's going to go for Getchy. He's going to go for all these big fights. And he's going to want to become undisputed best fighter in the world. You know? Because he has that confidence in himself. You know? He says... What you see there is you can tell he, he knew he was lacking in one aspect of his fighting and it got exposed against Nurmagomedov when he got submitted. So he went back and he said, you know what? I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm going to train at that. I'm going to train at being a better wrestler and then I'm really going to be the best. And now no one can beat me. So... Aaron Rodgers, Conor McGregor, that kind of arrogant cockiness that they have, it all comes down to how much work they put in. And those are two players that I, I are two athletes that I really look up to because if you can look yourself in the mirror and said, yeah, I gave it everything I got, you know, every ounce of me, I, I went I went out there and, uh, you know, I, I competed and I really gave everything I have. And you can look yourself in the mirror and you can say that and know it's true. Then there's usually no one that can beat you, you know, and that's why they're at the top of their games. And that's why when they lose, 
you know, they kind of look at themselves and say, hey, it happens, you know, I'm still the best. I'm still going to go back and train. I won't let this phase me. They are unfazed, unbothered athletes. And the third athlete I had uh, listed, who's very, very different from both of these, is uh, Larry Fitzgerald, wide receiver from the Cardinals. Um, I've seen Larry Fitzgerald play twice. Uh, I'm not a Cardinals fan, but I do live in New Mexico, so the closest stadium is probably uh, the University of Phoenix Stadium, which is the Cardinals' home stadium. So I've seen them play twice. I've seen them play against the Giants, and I've seen them play against the Packers. And both times I saw Larry Fitzgerald demolish our defenses. I saw him go off against the Packers' defense, and I saw him go off against the Giants' defense. Um, Larry Fitzgerald is just great. He's a great, great player. He's a great athlete. You see him week to week, day by day, and it's great. I mean, you, you, he's worked with so many bad quarterbacks, and he's still consistently great. It's, it's, there's no other way to describe him. He's, he's one of the best to ever live. I mean, his route running is so uh, refined, and his, his hands are so strong, and his catching is so good because he's just one of the greatest of all time, and he's so humble. I mean, he's been a Walter Payton Man of the Year Award winner. Um, and, and the winner of that award is usually the person who, who gives the most to the community and, and the best player and the most giving player in the NFL, along with being a good player on the field. Well, Larry Fitzgerald is a great person. He, very humble guy. I mean, he works hard. He's, he's an older player. He's done it all, seen it all. And he happens to be one of the greatest wide receivers to ever live and whoever will live number 11 will always be immortalized in the desert of arizona um the cardinals will always immortalize number 11 and it's a different type of confidence that larry fitzgerald has and it's very different from mcgregor and aaron Rodgers. you know he has a mentality that yeah i'm great and i'm one of the best but you know I'm I'm still gonna be humble. I'm still gonna I'm still gonna be a humble person, regardless of what I've accomplished on the field. And it's it's kind of crazy because you think how does someone who has so many millions of dollars and someone who's had so many touchdowns and so many catches and and done it on every single level, how does someone like that stay humble? I mean, I can't imagine if if I <laughs> reached that level of prowess in in my given field, I can't imagine myself being that humble. But there's Larry Fitzgerald consistently being a humble hardworking guy who who is extremely selfless and still one of the greatest wide receivers to ever step on this earth so it's very it's very they're polar opposites Aaron Rodgers and Conor McGregor are polar opposite is a polar opposite of Larry Fitzgerald which is pretty funny um that both of these players are totally different yet they're all athletes i look up to so that was three questions okay so i'll i'm gonna stop it there i'm gonna stop here um i have two other questions that are football related so i think i'm gonna save that for a q a but or for a different q a but a more sports oriented one uh these three questions that i answered here in this q a these were mainly about me as a person, 
um, who Adrian Arias is. So um, I really hope you guys enjoyed. I uh, hope you guys have a good night. Uh, you take care. Hey, what is up, guys? Welcome back to the Starting Lineup Podcast. My name is Adrian, and today we're going to be talking about one of the biggest question marks in the 2017 NFL Draft, and that is the 10th overall pick, Josh Rosen, um, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, drafted at the time, 10th overall, to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, He's a quarterback out of uh, UCLA, and everyone thought of him as Chosen Rosen, you know. He had that prolific comeback week one of his uh, junior year against Texas A&M, and everyone thought Josh Rosen is this amazing quarterback who is chosen to be one of the greatest of all time. Now, Josh Rosen has had two years in the NFL. Um, He, again, drafted in 2017, and he played one year, one year with the Arizona Cardinals, a team that drafted him 10th overall, and he was traded to the Miami Dolphins after that one year. And people watch Josh Rosen and think, he's not that bad. You know, I mean, he's, he's not doing bad. And then he throws three interceptions in a row. And you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. I see why they traded him. And then he throws a touchdown and then he makes a great throw and then he, he runs for 15 yards. And then you think, hey, this is a good drive. And then you see Josh Rosen at his best and you don't know what to think. If, if you were to put on a Josh Rosen game, if you were to put on Josh Rosen against the Dallas Cowboys, you would think, wow, this guy's it's terrible. This is a terrible quarterback. And then you put on Josh Rosen against the Green Bay Packers, and then you think, why did the Cardinals ever train this guy? You know, this is, this is a future quarterback. No one, I'm not going to say nobody, but for the most part, no one knows what Josh Rosen is. Is he good? Is he bad? Was he worth the 10th overall pick? Is Miami going to use him as a backup? Are they going to trade him? Is he ever going to be a starter? There's so many questions about Josh Rosen that are yet to be answered. Well, here I am to try to answer them. So Josh Rosen is 23 years old. He is 6'4". He is 215 pounds. So he's a pretty average-sized quarterback. Um, I watched a lot of film on Josh Rosen. Um, I watched him with both teams. And he, the, the biggest thing I, I saw with Josh Rosen was he plays to the level of talent around him. If you put Josh Rosen in a situation like Arizona where they had some pretty speedy receivers, they had David Johnson, they had Larry Fitzgerald, and for those of you who know me, they know how much I love Larry Fitzgerald and how great he is. He shines, you know? I mean, Arizona was going through a rough patch there where they they had the 10th overall pick and they had a bad offensive line. But when you put... Josh Rosen in a situation where he has good receivers, he has a good running back and a good O-line, and you don't ask of Josh Rosen too much, he can really be a franchise quarterback. And that kind of sounds oxymoronic because the idea of a franchise quarterback is a player who elevates the people around him. Josh Rosen does not do that. Josh Rosen plays to the level of talent around him. When I was watching his Miami Dolphin film and I was watching his Arizona Cardinal film, 
when he was with the Cardinals, he made some throws where you think like, wow, man, this guy, this guy is chosen. He is chosen Rosen. But you watch him with Miami and you think, what the hell happened to this guy? This guy looks terrible. He, why, why would anybody ever pick him in the draft? He looks like an unsigned free agent after the draft. Well, that's because Arizona had a lot more talent. Arizona was a lot better put together than the Miami Dolphins. Um, if you really want to see Josh Rosen at his best, look at Josh Rosen with the Cardinals his rookie year against the Green Bay Packers. He looked comfortable. He looked good in the pocket. He made good throws. He made those kind of crazy throws where you think, no way he's going to catch that. And then he catches it because uh, Rosen put it in a good position. You know, he looked like chosen Rosen. You watch him in his, I believe it was his first start against the Seattle Seahawks at home. And he made some throws where you're like, what the heck was that? It's chosen Rosen. Buy into, buy into it. Josh Rosen is the future. So you see these amazing feats of, I want to say magic. I mean, Josh Rosen made plays where you just can't believe and then you see him in Miami, and he is consistently one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, look, Rosen was thrown into the situation in Arizona, which wasn't very good. He, he had talent around him, but it wasn't a lot. He didn't have a good O-line. He didn't have a good defense. Uh, coaching was questionable. Arizona wasn't a good situation they still had the 10th overall they had more talent they've had the most talent that josh rosen josh rosen has had in his career but he didn't have a good team around him um i want to list off a couple things here josh rosen has played 20 games in the nfl he is 275 out of 502 passing he has a 54.8% completion percentage. This is his career, by the way. He has 12 touchdowns, which is not a lot for a franchise quarterback in two years, and 19 interceptions, which is not good whatsoever. He has been sacked 61 times in two years. In 20 games, Josh Rosen has been sacked 61 times, which is ridiculous. That goes to show the type of talent that Josh Rosen is surrounded by with both Arizona and Miami. But I do want to mention that he was sacked 45 times in 2018. So take, you know, take that how you will. Um, he has ran the ball 151 times. So he, he actually is a pretty mobile quarterback. He can run the ball when he wants. He is 6'4", 215 pounds, and 23 years old. So... When I watch Rosen, especially in Miami, his receivers could not catch the ball whatsoever. I mean, it was ridiculous. You, you watch him and you think, okay, that was a good throw by, by Rosen. And then his receiver drops it, gets tipped up in the air and intercepted. I mean, he, you know... Josh Rosen plays to the level of the people around him. And he had such bad players around him and such bad pieces around him that there's no way they're going to succeed. And that's why the Miamis picked 
That's why the Miami Dolphins picked that sixth or fifth overall. But, I mean, watching Rosen play, there was times where he didn't look bad himself, but his receiver dropped it or the receiver was off the route or the timing was wrong. And it looked like it was the receiver's fault. And I'm not going to say Josh Rosen is perfect because Josh Rosen has definitely made a lot of mistakes. And I'm talking about right now, Miami Josh Rosen. And there was just so many times where you think, man, Nate, what if his receiver caught that? You know, what if, what if his receiver caught that and then started running for maybe another four yards? How would his stats look at the end of the game? Because, yes, Josh Rosen consistently had accuracy issues. And that's something I have in my notes with, with highlighted and a star on it. Because there was times where he, he just missed throws. You know, he had a man and he missed him, especially deep. Um, underneath, uh, out routes, in routes, Josh Rosen struggled consistently with accuracy. But there was times where he looked, you know, on point and perfect. And when he was on point and perfect, his receiver didn't catch the ball. And that was one of his biggest problems. Uh, he had lots of problems in the offensive line. Um, he was consistently under pressure. I mean, he takes a snap, you know, two steps and... A lot of times he had to throw underneath and he had to throw his rush routes because there was so much pressure in his face. So he never really felt comfortable in the pocket. And you can tell, you know, he looked kind of like he had a little bit of the yeeps when he tried to throw the ball. It was a little high or to the side or, to the, or down because he didn't look comfortable. He couldn't sit in the pocket and know that his blind side was protected and he can just throw the ball because he was going to get hit. And more often than not, he had pressure in his face. And I, he, do, he does need to work on his, his quick decision-making. His timing is really, really off, and, and you see that in both teams. And I think that's why he was sacked 61 times, which is a lot of times. Um, yes, the O-line was bad. Yes, he held onto the ball too long. Yes, he needed to work on decision-making. But I, I do give a lot of the blame to the offensive lines that he's been with. Now, one thing I did see is more often than not, he makes really good decisions, you know, which is kind of weird because if you have a quarterback that can make good decisions, he's usually going to be pretty good, you know, kind of like a Dak Prescott, Tom Brady type of thing. If you don't mess up, um, you'll be fine. You know, the rest of the team around you will win the game. Well, he never had a team around him to win the game. He never had that type of talent to win the game for him. So he threw, like I said earlier, his rush routes most of the time. He was under pressure most of the time. So he would throw those little short four-yard routes and he'd find his man. He'd find his running back or a receiver in the flats. You know, he'd find someone open. He made the right choice most of the time. Obviously, he made some boneheaded moves and you don't know what he saw whatsoever. That's because he was rushed. That's because there was timing issues and there was there was communication issues with his wide receivers or his wide receivers just didn't run a very good route but for the most part when you watch rosen play he found the underneath man or he attacked the right coverage you know in cover two he he consistently looked down the middle and if there was no one then you know he tried to find his man in the flats so Josh Rosen made good decisions. 
Yes, he missed a lot of throws, but a lot of those incompletions on his good decisions were his receivers. You know, I'm not saying Joshua was perfect because he missed a lot of passes. He consistently missed lots of passes. But this is a guy who can make those throws and makes good decisions and usually does not blow the game. You know, there's quarterbacks who will blow the game because they make terrible decisions and whoever they throw is covered and they don't see a linebacker. That doesn't happen with Josh Rosen. He finds the open man and he finds the easy completion. He steals yards consistently. And that's a big, good thing to learn when you're a young quarterback, you know, to, to be able to take those yards and to happily take those yards underneath is something that a lot of quarterbacks don't do, especially ones as young as him and especially quarterbacks who are in new systems the way he's been in, you know? Um, I mentioned that he plays to the talent around him. He does not elevate the players around him. A franchise quarterback is meant to elevate the players who are around him. He does not do that whatsoever. He plays to the level of talent he has. Again, you see him in Arizona. He played good. You know what? I wouldn't say very, very good, but he made those miraculous chosen Rosen throws. And in Arizona, you saw none of that. You know, he he didn't look good when in, in, in Miami when he didn't have good people around him. He didn't have consistent receivers. He didn't have a good O-line. He didn't have a running back that he can consistently find out of the backfield and he knows will pass protect when asked. Um, does that absolutely stop him from being a franchise quarterback? I wouldn't say so. I don't, I don't know so yet, actually. I think Josh Rosen needs to be put into a situation where he has talent. He has players around him. If you were to put Josh Rosen in, say, Tennessee, where they have some pretty good receivers they have a decent enough defense and they run the ball most of the time. I think he'd be pretty good. And I, I don't know if I want to say he'd be better than Ryan Tannehill, but he might be better than Ryan Tannehill. I mean, he has the ability to make these miraculous throws that you usually don't see from Ryan Tannehill. Um, the only way you really see what Josh Rosen is, is by putting him in a system where he has talent. When, when he's in a team with great talent, then I think he'll flourish and he'll play to that. He will play to the level of his O-line. He will play to the level of his receivers and he will play to the level of his running back. So if you give him a good wide receiver, a good QB, a good or you give him a good wide receiver or a good O-line, good running back, you're going to get a good Josh Rosen. You're going to get a good player. Um, what I see for the future of Josh Rosen, I don't see him being a starting quarterback in the NFL. I, I really just don't. Um, the Maybe I don't see him being a franchise quarterback in the NFL. He will not lead a franchise into the playoffs, into the Super Bowl. And he will not be the leader of a franchise. Because he cannot elevate the players around him. Aaron Rodgers makes his receivers better. Joe Burrow will make his receivers better. Um, 
Tom Brady makes his offensive line better. Josh Rosen does not elevate anybody on his team. So what I think Josh Rosen will be in the NFL is a good, consistent backup. He will be a journeyman through the NFL. He's 23 years old. He was the 10th overall pick. I, I see him moving around the NFL, and I see him being a consistent backup. And if your starting quarterback gets hurt and you get Josh Rosen coming in and, and you know that Josh Rosen is your backup, you don't feel as bad. You think, well, I have a player who can make plays as my backup quarterback. I don't feel as scared. I don't feel as vulnerable as a team and as a player because I have Josh Rosen under center who can play some good football. I don't see I see him potentially being a starter in a team that isn't looking good, you know. Maybe I mean you saw the you saw the Bengals last year. You know, I think he could have been a starter there. Or, you know, when there's teams that they don't really have their franchise quarterback, but they have a guy in who, you know, is definitely temporary and they're going to draft a guy. I think for that season, if they need a temporary fix who can just be enough to get them to make strides as an organization, they're going to bring in Josh Rosen or they, they would love to have Josh Rosen. I never see him being a franchise quarterback. I never see him being a starter. So that was my analysis on Josh Rosen. I hope you guys enjoyed and uh, y'all take care.